to be back together with you after our little break that we had last week during the gospel meeting. Uh, in light of that, thinking about the gospel meeting, I'm, I'm naturally just drawn to John 21, where Peter says to Jesus, looking at the other disciple, what about this man? And Jesus replies, what is that to you, what, what I tell him? You know, and so for, in the spirit of tonight, if Jason Cicero brings up Ecclesiastes 12, what is that to you? <laughs> I, we're still not going there in this class. So he, he did a wonderful job. We will probably mine a lot of thoughts from his lesson when we're ready to talk about that chapter, which is weeks and weeks from now. Because we are in Ecclesiastes, but we're in chapter 3 tonight. Uh, maybe the most well-known chapter of Ecclesiastes, if I'm bringing all the world into kind of that mix, um, made popular, popular music. Pete Seeger, 1959, really made popular in 1965 by The Birds, right? Charting uh, a number one hit with Solomon's lyrics, if you can believe that. Um, I think people here would be familiar with that song, but if not, ask someone that looks like they were around in 1965 and they will tell you about it because it was big back then. To everything, turn, turn, turn. Um, so let's start there. I think chapter 3, as we get into our lesson, probably fits, uh, we could section it into three sections, kind of three types of thoughts. Uh, and that's probably helpful for us to do for this. The first one being this poem at the beginning. Chapter 3 and chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes are similar in some ways. We'll kind of start with this, with this poem structure and then the preacher, the teacher, will start to reflect on what he's just said, and he'll start to take the ideas further. And so we get that here in chapter 3. Let's, and I'll read the first eight verses here. For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. It, it covers a lot. Uh, just reading it tonight, you know, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, I don't know there's any huge glaring omissions here of kind of the human experience in this poem that the chapter starts with, Right? He is really covering a lot of what we go through or experience in life in some specific language, maybe some more poetic imagery at times. I think about casting away stones and gathering together. I tend to think this is maybe referencing something more than literally just sometimes you got to pick up rocks. Sometimes you got to get rid of the rocks you picked up. 
There's probably something more to that image. But others are pretty clear, a time of tearing things and then repairing them or sowing them. And so there is a lot here. As we read those, uh, which times, as you hear me read that or you read that on your own, and to have someone tell you, hey, there, there's a time for this thing in life. There's a season for this. Which ones make you feel good? Which ones are you really happy to see in this list? If you have one or two, they're like, well, this is, I like this one. I like to know that this is going to be part of my life at some point. Birth. Birth. Yeah, I can hear a little baby crying in the back. It's adorable. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's a good one. Any others that you feel like, man, I'm glad to know this is, this is part of life. Heal, laughter, yeah, there's more. Right now, everyone's saying, they're like, I like a time to keep silence, and that's what I'm doing right now. (laughs) No one wants to answer right now. That's fine. I'll get you to to join us in a minute. Yeah, a lot of these probably. Maybe some of you say about half of them sound pretty good, and maybe it's the first part of each little couplet. Maybe it's the second one in each little couplet, but depending on who you are, maybe you feel like half of these I like that. I would like those times to be in my life right now. And then, you know, my other question, if anyone's willing to share, we can just think about. There's others that it's maybe not incredibly exciting to read, to learn. These are, these are part of life as well. There are times these things will happen. There are seasons for these things as well. Anyone willing to share some of these that you're, you're not very excited to know some of these are in this list? Morning. Yes, because what, what kind of necessitates mourning? Yeah, someone dying, something tragic happening, true sadness and sorrow. That's not exciting. So, oh, there's a time for mourning. I wonder, I wonder when that will come for me. I kind of keep looking out for it. We don't really uh, await that excitedly. Did someone else have something over here? If you move, I'm, just, I'm watching. I think you're going to comment. A time to shun embracing. That's an interesting one, right? A time when someone would want an embrace and you don't participate and you refrain from embracing. That doesn't conjure up great feelings within us, probably. And yet, there's a time for that. That's interesting. War, war I heard. Yeah, uh, probably not a lot of people are excited about war. Even those who have participated in war those who, under, who have a sense of duty and, and have, have a sense of the purpose that it might be undertaking are not excited probably to go engage in it still and are recognizing it as a, a necessary thing that maybe has to happen, but not something people would necessarily be looking forward to. Right? What's that? Failure. Failure. Yeah, failure in general. Um, not happy. In a, a, a lot of these, breaking things down, weeping, um, tearing things up, plucking up what's planted. You know, that could, that could sound like it's a good thing or you're plucking it up because it didn't grow because it's worthless and you've got to get it out of here now. Yeah, just any of those that are tied to failure, sadness, unhappiness, defeat, pain, uh, danger, um, not exciting to really read in, in here. So what's... What's the point of all this, though? You know, this is kind of a nice, balanced poem that someone kind of says, you know, there's, there's a time for everything. Good stuff and bad stuff, and they all, they all happen. 
how do, how do you know what time it is when you, when you read this poem, I guess, and you accept, okay, there's a, there's a time for this and this and this, and I, I accept that? How do you know what time it is, necessarily? Do you get to decide what time it is? Maybe it's another question. I see some head shaking. It, it just happens. Okay, so this is, these, these times come upon us. These are not necessarily where we would say, oh, I want to, you know, I want to do this, so I'm deciding it's a time to do this in some degrees. Oftentimes these things happen to us. The world, our situations, have put us in these, these different situations. A better way to say it, good. Any other thoughts there? Yeah, very true. There definitely are some where we can have big influence on, right? Like I go back to Mitch, like a time to refrain from embracing. Like seems like a personal choice, right? Um, now again, we could be going for the embrace, and the world could be telling us this is not a time for embracing. The person we're trying to embrace doesn't want any part of it, and so we may be surprised to think, oh, I thought this was a time for embrace, and it's not actually. So yeah, we have some ability to to influence some of these, but in a, in a bigger way. They can still happen to us. Uh, I want to keep talking about that a little bit, but let's consider this question, which is a question you got to ask if you're going to talk about Ecclesiastes. We didn't really get to it in kind of the rapid like catch-up we were doing um, a couple weeks ago. You'll see these terms. We've got one of these terms uh, in our reading tonight, um, under heaven. We might have under the heavens in that verse 1. And we've seen under the sun a time or two already in some previous chapters. You'll see that one continually in the book. And so, what's that mean? Here. Here. Okay. Like it? The physical world. Here on the physical world. Okay. Any other thoughts? In this realm. In this realm. I like it. Yeah. All in agreement, but kind of given different spins on it. I like it. Physical world in this realm, here, the here and now. Yeah, John. Just going to say the uh, under the sun you were asking about that it's the physical thing, but I think in the context it's talking about specifically thinking about apart from God. If I think about just this physically apart from God and leaving him out of the picture is the idea, then it's utility. Yeah, I, I think that's well said, because it, I think we are talking about the physical world, the here and now, this realm that we're in, and while Solomon would not say God is not here, he seems to be describing the everyday way the world works, the way the world seems to operate aside from God, or under God's approval, but maybe without his direct action all the time, if I'm saying that well. It is life on earth, and he's imagining, not imagining, he is picturing, depicting better, you know, God not being of the earth, right? God being in a different realm. So we're talking a little bit about um, the physical world. Can we do a microphone? I'm going to send you about as far as you could go, probably. So yeah, great point there, and there'll be more to say about that uh, possibly in a minute here.
this makes me think of Job and with all that he endured, all the, the things that happened to him, and then his friends come to him and they say, well, what does this mean? Does this, has this happened because you've sinned? And, you know, they're, they're looking for uh, a meaning or a reasoning behind why all this has happened. And here we see all of this happens. Whether you serve the Lord or not, there's a season for all these things that happen in our earth, in our, in our lives here on earth. Um, yet, as we see through the scriptures, there's still, we have a duty to serve God. And so when these things happen in our life, don't get caught up in, well, why? They just happen. Now, sometimes things happen as a result, as a consequence of our actions. But yet, sometimes we may never know the why, but we still know, know what we need to do through the difficult times, whether it's a wonderful time of celebration, of enjoyment, or whether it's a difficult time of heartache and trouble. And so as we go through life, I think this is helpful to us to see this concept that there will be good times, there will be bad times, serve the Lord no matter what. That's a good comment. I think... You know, and in your comment, I think personally, it's my own personal thought, you may be ahead of even where Solomon is yet in the book. I think Solomon is still in the midst of his why moment or his why dissertation or essay here, right? Um, you know, that is a big part of the book of Job, like you said, where this ter- these terrible things happen to Job. And it's chapter after chapter after chapter, his friend's saying, you must have done wrong. He's saying, I didn't do anything wrong. This isn't right. This isn't fair. I wish I had someone to, to talk about this with. I deserve an explanation for this, to paraphrase a bit. And finally, at the end, God ar- arrives on the scene, so to speak, and does not answer Job's question and just says, you don't have, you don't have to know. You're not able to know, possibly, as well. I'm not going to tell you. And then Job repents and says, you're, you're right, at, at the end of the book. And in some ways, you know, for earthly wisdom, that's unsatisfying because we want the answer to why things might be happening, but it could be the wrong question here. I think Solomon is still, as we continue the chapter, I think that'll come out even more, that he is in his why phase, talking about how things are happening. Is it fair to say, you know, as we, as we talk about under the sun, and so we're just saying, okay, on, on this world, on the planet Earth, you know, under the sun, under the heavens, our life, which we acknowledge that, and God is in a different realm. He, he is above just being restricted to being under the sun. Is it fair to say that Solomon is, is ascribing these times to God as well? That God has established under his sun, under the sun, under heaven, there's going to be time for this. Then there's going to be time for this, and then there's going to this will happen, and then this will happen. Seems that he is establishing that as well, and so there's there's two ways to kind of look at this poem a little bit. I think a lot of us in the room we read it, and it's it's comforting because we it gives us a little bit of the why when things happen that are unpalatable or unpleasant to us. We can remember that God has determined these things to happen. On the earth, and we can go to other scriptures that the whole creation is groaning. That's why this sad thing is happening. We don't tend to really, you know, question at the heavens when good things happen. We're like, "Why is this happening to me?" We just kind of take it and run. 
But when bad things happen, you know, we tend to, we might wrestle with it. So we might be comforted by this. It's possible that this can be a frustrating truth as well to someone. Um, and maybe to someone that has similar thoughts going in the rest of the chapter. Because someone who's trying to influence things under the sun, someone who's trying to, by wisdom or by pleasure or by all these things, trying to gain something, trying to shape his life to be what he wants, is faced with the truth that these things just keep happening. He cannot control them. He cannot stay in the time of planting because inevitably the time to pluck up what's planting comes. And no matter what he does, that still comes. So the one that is trying to control his life and trying to say, if I approach this right, if I have the right attitude, the right game plan, I'll determine what happens in my life, is going to be frustrated probably by these truths because these truths really show us you can't control it. These things happen to us, as was said before, and that is by God's design. Let me see if I have other things. Okay, so I'm going to push us to verse 9, unless there's more comments about kind of the, these verses here. John, was that you? Yeah, I'm <laughs> well, now that you moved your glasses, but let's I hear it. Have a thought there. Even some of these things that appear to be bad and that you wouldn't like a time for war, terrible things. But as Jason pointed out last week, the life of a Christian is not spent on the playground but on mm. the battlefield. So not only is there a time for it, but God expects us to engage in that. And even in that, there can be a good outcome. So it's not all bad, even though war sounds like that it is. No, that's a great point. I appreciate you bringing that up. because, I, And I agree. Those of us in the room, I, too, I think, that approach this and find comfort in this passage probably find comfort because we realize a lot of the good that comes out of some of these even bad things. Um, we do not like the time of sorrow, like initially, because we don't like to, to be sad. But if we have been in sin and our heart is pricked by the truth, and we have sorrowful repentance, we would look back on that time as, that was one of the greatest moments of my life, because that sorrow brought about something amazing. If I had to pluck out something of my life, a plant, I'll use the metaphor, that was harming me spiritually, I would look back and say, I'm so grateful there was a time to do that. And so all these things as well, if we look at them in ways, not just about me, and does this give me pleasure, to make me feel good and happy, um, you, we see God's wisdom and that all of these can still be for our benefit, often are, if we look at it with a, with a mature eye there. That's a great point, John. Yeah, Chris. Uh, a couple of points. One, the, the first one is just kind of my opinion. Sometimes I feel like the hard times that I go through are kind of a, a, a test or a lesson that I'm supposed to be learning if, I, if I'm repeating something that seems similar, it's like, wait, what am I supposed to be learning from this here? So perhaps the purpose for some of these things that seem negative, there, there could be a positive thing too because we learn from it, learn who to depend on, just as an example. Um, the other thing is kind of like what you were saying, sometimes it's not about me. 
And that's, that's hard for me to, to, to think about. Like, why is this happening to me? Well, maybe it's not really about me. Even with Job, it was about him, but it really wasn't because, I mean, he had no excuse for, for asking of God what he asked. So it's kind of a, kind of a, a humbling thought, uh, that whole book of Job. It is, absolutely. There are, as much as the Lord does reveal about himself to us and about his will, which he does a lot, and he wants us to know him and to know his will, it's possible to do both, to know him completely and all of, of his mystery, we, we would be um, uh, naive to think that we could say, I figured out God, this is, uh, he fits in this box. And so then when things happen, they don't fit into our box. We say, like, why are you being unjust, God? Like, why are you doing this? When, yeah, there, there are things still that we will not understand. And then I agree with your first point as well. I think the scriptures tell us as well that, you know, things for our benefit, all hard work brings a profit, the Proverbs tell us. Um, God describes himself as a father who loves us. And the way he, sh- he proves that he loves us is that he disciplines us to help us continue to grow, to have a share in his holiness. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, comment right here. All of these attributes in this poem is from the hand of God. And verse 11 tells us he has made everything appropriate in its time. We're all going to experience these things over a lifetime. Yeah, your, your, your uh, translation has appropriate there in verse 11. Mine has beautiful. And I, I like um, appropriate really is a, maybe a quicker explanation to, to what that verse is saying. And though beautiful, a different way of putting it as well. Yep, we'll go back here. Um, we'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and take your comment before we push on here. Well, where it says he makes everything beautiful in its time, if we truly think about everything, there's some things that we think are horrible or terrible. Um, I have a friend who is suffering a, a consequence of his actions right now, and he's serving a short jail sentence as a result of that, his actions. Um, he had been on fire for the Lord, and he got involved in sin, and it caught up with him. And this has been a beautiful thing in his life, that he's suffering this consequence. Um, I'm able to communicate with him where he's incarcerated, and he is on fire for the Lord. He um, is studying every day. He is preaching sermons to the fellows in his cell block. Um, He has said, this is what I needed. I was slipping, and it's getting him back on track. And we would never think having to go to jail would be a beautiful thing. But it is in his life at this time right now. And so as we consider this, I mean, that, that's an application I can see of this very verse where something that we would all think would be terrible is in this case beautiful. That's great perspective. We've had a few comments on verse 11, so I think I've got the question up there. What is, what is the main takeaway? Any others? And I'll bring 9 through 11 in. Let me read it real quick, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, 
yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. It's like interesting verses there, especially right back to back. But what, would you, what do we feel is that maybe there's two takeaways. What are you getting from these verses here? It says what? World. world. Interesting. That is, yeah, mine says he's put eternity there. That's, that's quite different from, from my perspective. Eric, you had something? So verse 9, he basically asked the question that we were talking about when we talked about the first eight verses. What kind of what is the point of all this for man. Why is this the way that it is? And then verse 10, he says, God has given us these tasks to occupy our lives. So we have to, as human beings, have purpose to our life. And we have these tasks and we have these things that are going to take place. And of course, we know in other parts of the scripture, it tells us that even those things that may be negative are things that we learn from and grow from if we have proper perspective. So I think this just puts that list in perspective for us. Okay, I like that for sure. It, anyone, does anyone have any different reading of verse 10? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Anyone have a, a notably different translation? Yeah, Derek. to be occupied. Okay, yeah. And so God's given us these things to be occupied with and to be busy with. This is, this is not as strong as Solomon will be at other times, but it's like a taste of as you read this book, where as soon as Solomon will, will make some comments or make, give some thoughts, and you'll be like, I like that. Solomon's preaching right now, like I'm hearing this. And then he'll say something, and you'll be like, huh, I don't, that doesn't sound respectful. And not to be disrespectful to Solomon or the Holy Spirit inspiring him, but it at times will be challenging because he will be very direct and he'll be very matter of fact. And at times he will say, hey, there's things going on, on earth that are just evil. I, this is evil, what, I, what I've experienced. Like when I, when I work real hard and then I die, that's not right. You know, he will, he will go there at times. And it will be hard to sometimes reconcile that. Yeah. Sort of thinking as, as a little bit more about verses 9 through 11. And, but, you know, you read through 1 through 8 and you talk, you know, it's pretty much talking about life and the things that we deal with in life on this earth. But then, you know, reading verses 9 through 11, it's, it's almost like verses... One through eight are preparing us for something more, something better. And when I look look at verse nine about you know what profit is as a worker and which our labors, and you know God has given us this labor to occupy us, and talks about everything is beautiful in His time, but then idea of eternity in our hearts. You know, it's given us something to look forward to. I think that, you know, possibly is a preparation. We, we, I think most of us understand that this life, the life that we live on this earth, is preparing us, 
and we should be working, preparing ourselves for the next life, which is eternity through him. So I, that's the way I, I sort of see verses 9 through 11 is, is, you know, all of this is preparing us for eternity that he has put in our hearts. Okay, yeah, great point. I agree. I, there definitely is a transition there, right, where he says, hey, first eight verses, there's a time to do this, there's a time to do this, and then that time ends, and now it's this time again, and now it's time to do this. And God gave us all these things to be busy with, to be occupied with, all these temporal things. And he said, like, this is what life is like. you got a bunch of temporal phases that you're coming in and out of, in and out of. And yet, verse 11, but also he has put the intemporal in our heart, the eternal into our heart. And that is, that's, that's pretty poetic language. That we've moved out of the poetry section, but that's it's a big idea, right? I said, it's, someone put eternity into your heart. You know, there's a lot of ways we could, we could grasp that. I think what we're saying is, in some capacity, a longing for, an understanding, a realization that the temporal is not all there is. Do we understand the eternity completely or even great at times? No. But do we understand it exists we understand we would like to tap into it, that we would like to be a part of it, probably so. You were talking about the labor uh, being in vain. Um, and then uh, what Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen: do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Maybe uh, we're kind of seeing why Jesus was even better than Solomon here. Um, when, when Solomon was talking about, well, this is, I did all these things on earth, they failed, they, they, were, they were for somebody else, they didn't even do me any good. And then Jesus kind of one-ups him here on the wisdom in that he, uh, he says, you can build up in, in heaven rather than here. And that's, that's something that's worth something. Yeah, it's a great point. Definitely building on his thoughts, right? Solomon, he's frustrated by this because he's someone that has eternity in his heart like the rest of us. And so far... He's saying, I work really hard, and the results are not eternal. I've got eternity. That's what I want. I want things that last. I want my pleasure to last. I want my comfort to last. I want the things that I build. I want my legacy to last. But he goes through all these things that no matter what I do, it, it falls apart, or it just goes to someone else. I just die, and then I'm forgo- forgotten. It, I can't tap into this thing that's in my heart under the sun. Right? We keep using that. And so we're starting to get a little bit of a more here. He's trying these things. He's not attaining what his heart wants because things under the sun are not eternal. And the first eight verses is a great picture of that, right? And so we get to kind of another conclusion maybe of, of this part. I perceive there's nothing better for them. That's men. I perceive there's nothing better for men than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live. Okay? And that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So now we're, we're, Solomon's coming back around again a little bit. So he seems to be a little bit of a downer for a minute. Like, what do I get for all my hard work? And the answer is nothing because it just goes away always. And so I've seen that it's God's gift to just... Take pleasure in, in what I do have and, and while I have it. Essentially, he is um, practically, I won't say resigned, but he is seeing that things maybe on this earth can still provide joy 
though they will be temporal at times, that God still does bless us under the sun in some ways. Any thoughts on, on 12 and 13 here? Or still 9 through 11, if you, if you want. Well, I, I think you've you got to look at it in the aspect of, is God's provided all this for, for us. And I truly believe he, he, he gave us enough to enjoy you know, in this life, certain aspects of it mostly. And, you know, the things that he's blessed us with, the good things he's put in our lives, he put there for for the purpose for us to enjoy. But going back to the whole idea of under the sun, the thought being that, you know, a life without God isn't, you know, it, it it's it's meaningless. You know, and that's what, what Solomon sums up at the, at the end of, of his writings. But, you know, but... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't touch base on chapter twelve. I skipped the thirteen. You're flirting with it here, but um, but but you know, but with with God as our purpose, then we we, we can enjoy life to the fullest as he's he's planned for us to do. Absolutely, yeah, Mitch. Even without that, I would say that Genesis one verse thirty one kind of establishes this point that Psalms is making already. God established that in the beginning. He created everything. And at the end of the sixth day, he looked at all the work that he had done, and he said, this is good. You know, so that's an example that we have from God at, from the very beginning, to enjoy you know, the good work that we've done. That's well said. And, and Solomon may be having to, having to reevaluate his initial premise that if it's not the way I want it, I'm disappointed in it. And yet, if God has said it's good, maybe I need to recognize it as being good. And if God has given me daily bread today, he's given me some payment for my hard work today, that is good. That is a gift from God, and I need to accept that. I'm going to push us forward a little bit because we've got quite a few more. And we're going to get back to some more interesting thoughts here. Uh, verse 16 seems to ask the question, and this is a paraphrase, right? But you can read verse 16. Okay, if God is in control, as we've established, he sets all these times into the... He determines there's a time for this. He determines there's a time for this. He's given that for us to be busy with. Then why, then why do I see wickedness where there ought to be righteousness? You know, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So what's going on here and with this? We've just... Free will. Okay. Would you, would you expound... God set all this up in places where there should be righteousness, in places where there should be justice, but man can decide not to do those things, not to be righteous, not to be just. Very true, yes. So we are starting to establish that God maybe, maybe God has ordained times and he has ordained his will in many instances and yet does not force it upon us at times. It's God's will that we should be righteous all the time. If we become unrighteous, we act unrighteously, we often are not instantly corrected or rebuked or removed from the equation, so to speak. 17, you know, verse 17, I'm going to kind of keep going a little bit here. Um, he says, I said in my heart, God, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. So some insight here, I think, from Solomon that there's all these temporal things that have their times and seasons. 
God's judgment is not one of them. His judgment will happen on his schedule. It will happen when he deems it is right to happen. And that may be not under the sun. That may be in a different realm when he decides to correct the wickedness, to reward righteousness as he wants to. He says in his heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Even though I'm seeing it happening, I say in my heart, God will judge this. And then he says more in his heart. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. All and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. So once again, we're like Solomon. You are bringing me down a little bit with this part. What are we getting at here that where he's like, you know what? I've kind of noticed that man and beast kind of are the exact same. It's hard to differentiate between the two of them because they live their life. They come to the same end, it seems. And so what is the point of this new line of thought here? Do you think? lives without God, if we live our lives without God, we're no different than animals because we have no, we have no govern, we have no rule, we have no boundaries, we, have, we don't have that, that path to go on. You know, as animals, you know, they, they just live off of however they live because they don't have, one, the soul and the knowledge and the ability to commune with God like we do. And so a life without God puts us pretty much in the same category as animals. And a life without God, where does your soul go? It doesn't go up. It doesn't go to heaven. It doesn't return to him. So, I mean, I, I, to me, that's just the way I'm seeing him as being, as he's just reiterating the aspect of, you know, life under the sun without God is, is, is meaningless. That's a good point. You know, he uses that language a little bit earlier, right? He says, I said in my heart, God's testing. God's testing, man. So they can see that they are but beasts. Maybe to see if they will recognize they're just beasts. So like you said, as, as a man or woman of our own accord, can we put a halt to any of this? Can we be like, you know what, like those animals are out there just dying, but like not me. I'm going to change this. I'm going to fix this. That's not going to happen to me. Of my own ability, I will defeat death somehow. I'm not going to just die and get buried like one of them. And yet we say like, nope, that's going to happen to all of us. Just like an animal, like we will expire at some point, like an animal. And so, yeah, we're incapable to alter that on our own. And, and it seems to be implying that God allows a lot of this to happen so that we will look at it that way. That there are so many things I cannot control in this life. Is there someone who is in control of these things and, and larger things? Maybe I should align myself uh, with him. Absolutely. There definitely is a difference. I would not interpret this passage as Solomon making a strong case that, you know what, we might really not be very different at all. 
and that we're exactly the same. That's his wording a little bit. You know, if you just take it totally out of context, you'd be like, what is he talking about right here? But it is kind of in a way to, to show us that the, we don't have control over these things just like animals. And yet, you know, verse 21, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth? Well, I think that we know because God's revealed that to us. And so without that being revealed to us, yeah, we'd still be wondering probably, like, are we just animals? Because I don't know. There's a spirit. I can't see it. But God has chosen in his wisdom to reveal that peace to us. In my last few minutes here, you'll notice verse 22, the teacher repeats his key advice from earlier, but then he kind of asks a rhetorical question. Now, what's he getting at? Verse 22, so I saw there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, but that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Big deep thought here at the end of chapter 3. Who can bring him to, to see what will be after him? Does anyone have a different translation of that that might be, that you might think is clearer than what I've just read from the ESV? Maybe not. It is an interesting question, and he's not going to answer it. You know, as we go into chapter 4, he's going to kind of just move on to talk about some other things and talk about some more sad stuff. But he is here, in one sense, um, asking a, a, a question that has two answers, right? There's nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work, today's work, what's going on right now. I worked today. I got some gifts from that today. I'll rejoice in that. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? As far as people, who can show you the future? Who can show you what, what your hard work will bring 100 years from now? Like, can someone show you, right? oh, this is what they'll be talking about you in 100 years. This is what your legacy will be in, in, in this long. And so that question is nobody. Nobody can show me that. But is there one that can bring us to what will be after us in a kind of different way to understand that. Is there someone who can bring us to another us after us? Is that making sense? Probably not. It is an interesting question and one to continue to ponder tonight and for the rest of the week. And we will be back in chapter four, Lord willing, next Wednesday. Thank you everyone for a great uh, class tonight. I learned a lot from you. Thank you.